So in a moment, I'm going to invite Ian to come and speak to us. We're going to read from the Bible first. And our passage this morning comes from the book of 1 John, chapter 4. And uh, we're going to start reading at verse 7. So 1 John, chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God, that the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And God will bless that reading to us. Just going to pray for Ian as he comes to speak to us. So, Father, we thank you for that passage. We thank you for that love that's spoken of there. We pray for Ian this morning. Thank you for the way you've spoken to him. And we ask, Lord, this morning that you would help us to understand more of that love for us through Ian's words. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ian. Welcome. God as it's revealed in the Bible. Now, if you've been a Christian for even a little while, or have some knowledge of the Christian faith, and someone asked you to sum up very simply what Christians believe that God is like, what's his character, you may well use the words that um, Alan read towards the beginning of that reading. God is love. But supposing that same person who asked you to sum up what God is like and you said God is love, supposing they then questioned you and said, how on earth can you believe that God is love? Think of how small and insignificant we are compared with the vastness of the universe. A tiny speck on a tiny planet. Think of the shortness of our lives, alive for such a short time, but gone so soon. Even while we are here, we encounter suffering, maybe directly, but if not, then it's certainly around us. In view of all of this, how can we believe that God is love? 
Well, that's a really big question. And to answer it, I suppose if I was to answer it, I might begin to speak of the way that God revealed himself to a particular people, the Jewish people, and how again and again in their scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, it speaks of the unfailing, steadfast, abounding love of God. There's a refrain that's repeated several times within the Old Testament. Here it is in the writings of one of their prophets, the prophet Jonah. You are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. The Old Testament speaks of God's love being as great as the heavens are high above the earth of it being an everlasting love, from everlasting to everlasting. A love that is compassionate, a love that forgives our wrongs and failings. In the Old Testament hymn book, the Psalms, one of the writers speaking to God says this, How precious, how priceless is your unfailing love. But what if this imaginary person who's quizzing you about the Christian faith says, well, they're just words. How do you know they are true? I wonder how we would answer then. Well, if you're, not un if you're a bit unsure how to answer that question, then listen to what God, sorry, listen to what John writes in verse 9 of the passage that was read. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The staggering, mind-blowing truth that we celebrate at Christmas is that God sent his son, Jesus, into the world that was created by him, Jesus becoming a real human person, living among ordinary people, experiencing the experiencing the sort of things that we experience to bring us life. And that Jesus' coming is the definitive expression of God's love to us. In the church year, this is the season of Advent, which is about preparing. It's about preparing to remember and celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world, it's about preparing to encounter Jesus in our own lives. And it's preparing too for when we will encounter Jesus face to face as our Lord in what we call um, the second coming. He's coming again. So perhaps there's a call for us this Advent, first of all, to recognize and reflect on what was really going on that first Christmas. And in what way it shows the stupendous love that God has for us. Can we believe that God loves us? Even be bothered with us, small as we are? Well, in Jesus, God became a tiny, helpless baby who grew to be a man but lived a short life 
shorter than most of us will experience. This is what C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist and writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, called the great miracle. That in the words of an old hymn, our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. Jesus came into this world, the world created by him, not as someone somehow immune from the trials and troubles of this world, but right smack bang in the middle of them. Not as part of a ruling elite, but in humble circumstances, in an occupied country. He felt the pressure of coping with the needs of others. He was often even uh, misunderstood. Even his own family at one time questioning his sanity. He got tired, hungry, even depressed. In his hour of greatest need, he was let down by his close friends, even betrayed to his enemies by one of them. He was tempted to take wrong paths. That's a major theme of the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, which in one verse says of Jesus that he understands our weaknesses. He faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. In his song, He Walked Where I Walk, the songwriter Graham Kendrick puts it like this. He knows my frailty, shared my humanity, tempted in every way, yet without sin. God with us, so close to us. God with us, Emmanuel. God is not remote. In love he came in the person of Jesus into his own suffering creation. In Jesus, God himself shared our humanity. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But the start of his life is what we celebrate at Christmas. And because God is love, so, as the poem by Christina Rossetti says, love came down at Christmas. Love came down. In one of his books, Adrian Plass, a Christian writer, I know a lot of you will know him, he tells the story of a girl who is in hospital, and while there she writes a number of letters, one of whom, uh, one of which is to a man in a religious order. She wants this man to explain how come, if God is love, there is suffering in the world. In particular, she's hung up about how some babies are not... Um, born uh, whole. And I want to read a bit of the man's reply. When I was young, I used to get very angry indeed with God. Why, I used to say, when you're supposed to be able to do anything and you're supposed to love everybody, do you let little babies be born with things wrong with them? Why, God, tell me. So I went along to an older, wiser Christian, and I told him all about it. He listened and smiled, 
didn't say anything for a long time. And then he said, I want you to go and kneel in the little chapel and look at the cross on the altar. And as you kneel there, I want you to say these words over and over again, quite quietly to yourself. He's in it with us. He's in it with us. So this man, he takes the, the older Christian's advice. He goes to the chapel, kneels in front of a, a cross with the figure of Jesus on it. And then he writes this. I knelt there for a while. And as the brother said, I repeated those words quietly and slowly, over and over again. He's in it with us. He's in it with us. He's in it with us. Jesus' face had been very well made by whoever made that model. There was an expression of such pain and sweetness in his eyes, and he seemed to be looking straight at me. And when I stopped saying those words, it was as if he started to speak. I'm in it with you. I'm in it with you. I'm in it with you. And then I just started to cry. Sounds silly, but I couldn't help myself. The funny thing was, they weren't really my tears. They were his. He was showing me how he felt. I'm in it with you. Jesus' identification with humanity even means that he dies. But his death, as well as carrying our sorrows, as the prophet Isaiah says, dealt with the root problem of mankind. Turning away from our loving creator. What the Bible sums up as sin. All the wrongdoing, hurtful and horrid things we say, our failure to be even what we would want to be, our failure to do what we should do, all stem from our turning away from God. But Jesus on the cross dealt with it all. And that, writes John, in this passage that we're looking at, is the ultimate demonstration of God's love for us. This is what love is. It's not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the means by which our sins are forgiven. That's verse 10 from the passage we're looking at from a, a translation called the Good News. Earlier on in his letter, John had written this in an echo of those words of Jesus himself. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Now I know that the lead up to Christmas puts us under a lot of pressure time-wise. But I wonder if in Advent over Christmas, if not perhaps for the few days after Christmas, we might be able to recognise and reflect on how the coming of Jesus into the world 
shows the amazing love that God has for us. We might want to pray, pray a prayer that Paul prays for some of the Christians at a place called Ephesus. Paul prays this, that they may have power to grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know his love that surpasses knowledge. I think that's a really good prayer to pray for ourselves and for other people. So in this time of Advent, recognise and reflect on God's amazing love. Secondly, receive that love personally. Receiving unwanted Christmas, Christmas presents is a bit of a joke, isn't it? I came across this on the internet, I think because it uses dollars, it must be talking about the USA. It said an estimated $400 million, I reckon that's 300 million pounds roughly, was spent on 10 million unwanted gifts last Christmas, many of which were discarded and likely to end up in landfill. Novelty items, candles, pamper products, pajamas, slippers, underwear and socks are among the least appreciated gifts a national survey showed. Did you know there's a whole section of eBay devoted to unwanted Christmas gifts? But isn't it great when, when what you have bought for someone is just right? When all the time and the trouble and the, the expense that you took in getting the present really is just what the person wants. Marlene, my wife, takes so much trouble in trying to get the right presence for me and for our family. It's an expression of her love for us. And she's so pleased when it works out right. But what about the, God, the gift that God has given to us, Jesus? I hope we recognise it, him, as a just right gift. Couldn't be better. So I hope that our hearts are open to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came into our world as a man and to receive that gift of love, God's gift of love to us. I hope that for none of us, Jesus is an unwanted gift. For some of the people at the time of Jesus, when Jesus was on earth, he was unwanted. But I hope that we have, or we will, receive this gift of love from God with thanks to and worship of the God who gave it, the God who gave Jesus. If you're not sure about how to do that, how to receive that gift that God offers to us, then do contact us. We'd love to let you know to explain how you can receive Jesus. So recognize and reflect on God's amazing love. Receive that love personally. But in addition to receiving the love of God, are there other ways in which we should respond to?
to God's love for us. Now, I know my school days are long past, but I'm pretty sure that I remember this correctly. Often, in maths or physics, you draw a conclusion from information that you have already got. For instance, if you know that the sum of two internal angles of a triangle is 100 degrees, then it follows that the third angle will be 80 degrees because the sum of the internal angles of a triangle is always 180 degrees. Because such and such is true, the conclusion that follows is then this. John, in his letter, is quite clear that this is how we know that God loves us because he sent Jesus into the world to live among ordinary people, even suffering and dying for us. But then John comes to a conclusion which is not what I would think would follow. If you didn't already know, if you don't know what came next, how would you end this statement? Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to... What would you put at the end there? We also ought to... I think the obvious thing would be, since God so loved us, we also ought to love God. But that isn't what John writes. He writes instead, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And if we read the rest of John's letter, we can get perhaps get an understanding of why this is his conclusion. It can be easy to claim to love God, who we can't see, but it's much harder to love the person who's right in front of us, whom we may disagree with, who's very dogmatic about something we feel less strongly about, who may be a bit annoying or is unsympathetic to our needs, who always seems to be in some sort of need themselves. But that's the deal, writes John. Since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Now, there's so much that I could say about loving others, so I've picked up on just a couple of things. One from earlier on in John's letter, and one from the words of Jesus. First from 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. This is the message translation. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. That's pretty clear. God urge us to look not just to brothers and sisters in our own congregation, but also to look further afield. For instance, to the Christians in places like India, who because of COVID have lost their jobs, but because they are Christians, don't receive help that others do. And then these words of Jesus 
which come from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Sorry, let me start again. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's just so easy to be critical of other people, to forget that we ourselves are far from perfect, to expect other people to make allowances for us, but not to cut them any slack. We need to remember that we are reconciled to God only by his grace, his undeserved blessing. I spoke earlier about this command to love our brothers and sister Christians being a surprising response to God's love for us. But I think there's another surprise too, and that is God John's call to love our brothers and sisters. Why does he limit this call to love to our fellow Christians and not spread the net further? I think we can find a clue if we compare a statement from John's Gospel with what John writes in verse 12 of the passage we're looking at. Here's the statement from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is, is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. And verse 12 of 1 John chapter 4. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is brought to the full expression in us. Listen to a quote from someone called Tom Wright. We don't really know who God is until we look at Jesus. And people don't really know who God is until they see it revealed in the life of Christians. Until, that is, his love is completed in us. But our love must surely overflow to others outside the Christian community. To love our neighbours particularly those in need, like the man who was helped by the Good Samaritan. To love our neighbours, to love even our enemies, to find ways to bless them, to pray for them and their families and concerns and needs, to respect them. In what ways should we respond to God's love for us? By loving others, our fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, by loving our neighbours, even by loving our enemies. So in this Advent season of preparation to remember and celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world, a season to prepare to encounter Jesus in our own lives, a season to prepare for when we will see Jesus face to face as our Lord. I do hope that we will be able somehow 
to carve out some time to recognize and reflect on the wonderful love of God shown to us at the coming of Jesus. To pray that prayer for ourselves that I prayed. And um, also I hope that we will have hearts that are open to receive that love personally. And also that having some experience of the love of God, that it will overflow more and more in loving actions to our fellow Christians, to our neighbours, even to those with whom we naturally do not get along with. Amen.